0: American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. As late as 1879, leading Southern politicians were confidently maintaining that Southern African American citizens would always be able to vote, always be full citizens in the South. Though Northern troops had left two years earlier in 1877 and Reconstruction had come to a close, it seemed as though the gains after the war would be maintained forever. Even Senator Lucius Lamar from Mississippi, who had written the very succession ordinance to break from the Union before the war when he was in the House, now he was a senator, said that the end of the franchise for African Americans was, quote, a political impossibility under any circumstances short of revolution. And yet that revolution would only occur 11 years later, as something called Jim Crow was enacted throughout the South. That would be the systematic legal and cultural enforcement of white supremacy. We think of Jim Crow as a legacy of slavery, but it wasn't. It was a new system created in the aftermath of Reconstruction, especially in the late 1880s and then into the early 1890s. It was something that was not uh, a carryover from a more uh, pre-modern time. It was part and parcel of a new modern system of racial segregation, designed for and a product of a new industrial society, especially a consumer society. And so as we consider Jim Crow, it's very important to understand it not just as something that is part of an American apartheid, but something that is both political and economic at the very same time. On the one hand, it was about the abridgment of the rights of freed people to vote, and on the other hand, it was about the everyday practices of consumer society within American capitalism. So, if we think about voting as something that only happens every once in a while, every few years, consumption happened every single day. And it was Jim Crow that enforced those kinds of racial lines in an everyday sense, whether in schools or washrooms or stores or on the street or everywhere. Consumption was one of the most important ways in which Jim Crow control was made to be natural to made be made every day, to made to be seen inevitable as part of our landscape and of our lives. In 1884, Ida Wells was 22 years old. She was a school teacher, though she had been born a slave. And she buys a train ticket to go from Memphis, Tennessee, to Shelby, Tennessee. And so when she gets on the ticket train, she had bought a first class ticket, because she is a respectable teacher. She doesn't want to sit with the riffraff down in the second class. When she gets on the train, though, something happens. The conductor, who was white, tries to force her, Ida Wells was black, from her seat. Now, the conductor uses as much violence as he wants. The three, three additional white men get up and try to pull her from her seat, and they force her off the train during the course of which she bites the conductor. This is how terrified she is of what's going on. Three white men forcing one school teacher off the train. And in the midst of all this, the other white passengers applaud. Now she gets off the train instead of being forced into the second class car. And when she gets home, she sues the train company. And she won. The Memphis Daily Appeal headline on Christmas of 1884, quote, A darky damsel obtains verdict for damages against the Chesapeake and Ohio railroad. Now the railroad appeals this decision, and Wells actually loses the appeal. The judge decides, quote, her persistence was not in good faith to obtain a comfortable seat, but for the purposes of social equality, and thus was not illegal. Her ticket did not matter. now I tell you this story to illustrate something very important that Jim Crow was still being negotiated in the 1880s, that white supremacy was not the law of the land, and that everyday challenges between white people and black people, between authority figures like that conductor, were happening everywhere. White conductors would challenge black people all the time on the trains. There was even a term for it, the Trainman's Bluff, to see whether or not the black passengers would go along with it. Ida Wells did not. But I also want you to realize that there's still an uncertainty in the enforcement. The courts go back and forth over what is and what is not legal. This Jim Crow that comes into being in the 1890s was not inevitable, was born out of decisions that people were making, both in their everyday lives on trains as well as in the courts. Trains are at the center of this new Jim Crow regime. The famous Supreme Court case, Plessy v. Ferguson from 1896, posed Homer Plessy, who was a test case. Now, Homer Plessy was a man who was seven-eighths white and one-eighth black. In the parlance of that time, he was called an octoroon. And he looked very much like a white person. He could very easily pass for a white person. And thus, the question of how he looked versus his legal status, in terms of his race, was very much in play when he boarded a train and rode along it. Now, he was pulled from the car, and then it went to the Supreme Court, where the Supreme Court decided very famously that it was okay to segregate people as long as the two conditions under which the segregations occur were equal, separate but equal. This was to be the racial order of the Supreme Court throughout the Jim Crow period, separate but equal. Now, while this was the legal standard in theory, in reality, things that were separate were very rarely equal in practice. In practice, people were separated every day, and they had access to very different kinds of resources, especially in spaces of consumption. The spaces of consumption, like stores and streets and theaters and schools and trains and buses and everything else, were places where this kind of white supremacy was worked out in an everyday way. The white Southern writer Lillian Smith wrote, quote, Every little Southern town is a fine stage set for Southern tradition to use, as it teaches its children the twisting, turning dance of segregation. Few words are needed, for there are signs everywhere, white, colored, white, colored, over doors of railroad and bus stations, over doors of public toilets, over doors of theaters, over drinking fountains. White town, colored town, white streets, colored streets, front door, back door, places you sit, places you cannot sit, these ceremonials in honor of white supremacy. For more information, go to edX.org and look for American Capitalism, A History with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist or go to facebook.com slash American Capitalism MOOC. This podcast has been brought to you by Cornell X from Cornell University.